a podcast from the Arkansas Baptist State Convention. Welcome back to The Grind, a church planning podcast featuring practical tips, missional strategies, and personal stories to bring you insights and encouragement. Coming to you fresh from Little Rock, here's your hosts, Dave McClung and Neil Scoggins. Welcome back to The Grind, ladies and gentlemen. So glad you decided to join the one and only Neil Scoggins what, and myself. There, there only needs to be one. There, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah if, and there really was only one. What, what if we had two Neil Scoggins? You just posed a great question. No, there, there would. No, you don't want that. that would, <laughs> That's have, not really what you need. Just, just if you were to clone yourself. Yeah. Just think about all the stuff you could get done and the blessings that would be for the world to have two Neil Scoggins. Man, that would be, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to think about that long. I, yeah, 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 that's, 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 that's too much to fathom so, for me. So the world would never be the same. <clears throat> no, there you that. go. And do you realize, check this out, I am an only child. You are. I am. Yeah. There you go. Well, we are excited to have with us on the podcast today uh, the lovely Tim Wolf. And the very fast yeah. and lovely Milton, <laughs> Milton Campbell. Campbell. <laughs> <laughs> and so, guys, hey, thanks so much doing? for joining us. Yeah, that's awesome. It's an honor. That's awesome. So, so Tim uh, planted 1027 Church. In it. Did I get that right? Yep. Yep, in Atlanta. And is also the Send City Coordinator uh, for Atlanta with NAM. And uh, that's how we've gotten to know each other. And then Milton planted Midtown Bridge Church, uh, correct? Yes, sir. Well, more of a a replant for us. Okay. All right. And then 1027 and Midtown Bridge merged together. And uh, and, at Midtown, and, and was it, now Milton, was yours called Midtown Bridge before you merged, or is that what it became once it merged? No, it was already Midtown Bridge. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So uh, a really, really cool story, and we're going to dive into that here in a second. So so once you guys kind of talk about your journeys in church planting, um, kind of what led you to church planting, and Milton, we got to hear the stories about the, the track and field exploits. Uh, we've got quite the speedster yeah, on the podcast yeah. here. So uh, the world needs to know uh, about this and uh, that we're in the presence of track and field royalty here. There you go. And I, I, get, I guarantee you that we'll never have another guy on here that has the same claim to fame that you've got. Because most church planters are slow. <laughs> That's right. Indeed. Yeah. 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 So yeah. why don't you guys just take off and kind of, we'll hear from both of you, kind of just talk about your journey into church planning and what landed you together where you guys are now. Well, I definitely think Tim should go first because he's the godfather of church planning. <laughs> oh, the godfather. Yeah. And that is true. He, he really is. Well, I don't think I can live up to that, but that's very kind. And, uh, and, and I think I can keep it short. Um, you know, I, I'm originally from Miami, Florida, um, kind of raised Anglican Catholic, hear the gospel at the age of 20. My family had relocated from Miami to Tallahassee, Florida. So I'd gone from kind of this international world to this kind of good old boy scenario. And then from there, fast track, really um, the pastor that led me to Christ personally personal soul winner, a who's your one kind of guy, um, said, hey, you know, you got to get an education. So sent me off to college, had a great experience at a Palm Beach Atlantic University in West Palm Beach, Florida, 
and then had the privilege of going to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And I think, uh, in all honesty, I thought, you know, a call to ministry at that time, um, you know, I received Christ at the age of 20, about a year later, a call to ministry. And the only thing I really knew was you had the preacher and the song singer, you know, guy, and uh, I wasn't the song singer. So I thought, you know, maybe I could get a suit and memorize a few of those jokes and maybe I could preach. I ended up out of Southwestern and uh, was privileged really to land on staff at an amazing church called First Baptist Church, Corinth, Texas. And uh, in that journey, man, we just saw tons of people come to Christ. It was incredibly evangelistic. And next thing I knew, uh, we did a pilot program called um, Experiencing God. And this 100-year-old First Baptist Church said, uh, Tim, you're about to graduate. You probably thought you were going to maybe be somehow connected to a church and get the pastor. You're you're not going to do that. You're you're a church planner. And I was like, okay, great. Yeah, let's, <laughs> church planning sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember that uh, Henry Blackaby and Claude King were actually church planners in the book. I just remember that for the first time in my life and that journey, you know, I'd only been a believer for a season. I mean, it was getting some legs on it now, but, um, you know, was that, man, I needed to stop praying those prayers. God come over here and do something with me. And I needed to find out where God was at work and join him. Yeah. Yeah. All of a sudden it kind of launched my wife and um, a little family we had at that time, young out into church planting. And that was, uh, um, 1993. Um, so was fortunate enough to graduate and um, got sent out and, uh, basically did everything you could possibly do wrong as a church planter out of the gate. We planted in Denton, Texas, but uh, God was gracious. And in four years, we saw 28 people come to Christ and baptized. And uh, unfortunately, per se, that church plant didn't, you know, make and the fact that it became, you know, five-year-old, 10-year-old, 15-year-old. But um, what did happen was out of that trajectory, somehow God had started a journey from wife and I that we became church planters. So speed up the story, we ended up going to rural Southwest Georgia which um, lovingly, I say this, so don't want to offend anybody, but nobody goes to Southwest Georgia, not unless God calls you. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. but, but we did, and we, and we learned about cousins and wildlife, and, uh, and God, uh, God planted a great church down there that actually just a couple weekends ago back, or about a month ago, celebrated 20 years of life. Uh, but wow. the thing that happened in that wow. plant was that uh, – First year, we supported a church plant in Phoenix. The second year, we were trying to partner with a church that was up the road about an hour in Albany. And then the third year, we asked that church to release my wife and I and send us out as a church planner again. Uh, so that was, um, they sent us to 2002, in 2002 to Atlanta. And uh, man, next thing I knew, my family and I were loading up and going to downtown Atlanta. And they're really privileged to start a journey of planting a 1027 church. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Now, when did you start working with NAM along the way there? So I think, um, I, I, uh, I think somewhere in, uh, 2008, um, yeah. I had, a, a I, when we came to Atlanta in 2002, I hadn't been here about a year and I realized all my neighbors were hustling and I realized as a church planner, you know, if I wanted to feed my family, I needed to hustle too, um, because God likes people who work and, uh, so, um, you know, we started doing a little work for the association, the convention, a little this, a little that. And then somewhere about 2008, all that kind of came together with an assignment from NAM with a group called Urban Atlanta Church Planting. Hmm. And then that kind of morphed somewhere 2010, 11, where 
I got to do some contract work at NAM, and then they asked me to come inside the building for a season at NAM, and got to do some different things while I was still pastoring the church that I planted. So I was doing two or three things, which two or three things easier than doing five or seven. <laughs> um, and then uh, somewhere um, about a year ago, I was privileged that they had uh, asked me if I would um, love the opportunity to serve as the Sin City Missionary for Atlanta. And I said, oh, I'd love that opportunity. I love Atlanta. I love the planters that are there. And then I know we'll talk about it later, but by that time, the church that I had planted, uh, excuse me, planted and pastored uh, for um, 15 years plus had already morphed in uh, to the Midtown Bridge, which we'll talk about that a little later. Yeah. Um, so at that point, for the first time, I wasn't a lead guy. So being a Sin City missionary seemed like there was a little bandwidth there to be able to do that. Yeah. Awesome. That's cool. Awesome. Milton, what about your journey? <laughs> Yes, sir. No, that's exciting. And what Tim did not share was when he started back in 2002, Atlanta, there was like no church planning happening here. Mm. Um, so really, I mean, when I say, and I often introduce him as the godfather, like he was the one really tilling the ground and just making way to like now there are so many churches being planted in the city. Um, and it's, it's a beautiful thing that we see God doing here. But I'm like, man, Tim was here before that was cool, before that was sexy. Um, and really, a lot of us were standing on his shoulders based upon the work he did. Yeah. But, uh, but my journey is, um, I, I grew up actually in Atlanta. From Atlanta, I went away to college. I ran track at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And then I knew I always knew I wanted to come back to Atlanta. And I just felt like, man, this is a city I really love. Um, I thought I was going to be making my impact on the city through track and field and even kind of more so like in the business space. And But God had different plans. So I grew up in a, in a Christian home, single-family home. Single family home. Uh, mom was a, a really strong believer, but really didn't start to really never had anybody disciple me. Came to know the Lord at age of 12, but I really feel like my discipleship journey really started in college. Mm-hmm. Got connected to an organization called Athletes in Action, mm-hmm. and a guy named Dave Tegler started really discipling me for the first time. And, um, and even then, had no idea. I mean, I, just, I, think, I think the two things, I, well, one thing I probably said I'd never do as a child, weirdly as it was, was like, man, I'd never be in ministry. <laughs> um, and weirdly because I had a lot of family members who I think who were really involved with the church, but was just kind of not really like seeing the model living out what it meant to like live on mission, living for the Lord. Mm-hmm. So as a result of that, that was the last thing I thought I'd do. Um, I joke with my wife. My wife um, is a PK, a preacher's kid. And uh, two things she said she didn't want. She said she didn't want to marry a professional athlete or a pastor. <laughs> she didn't want to marry me, which is both. Yeah. And so I was joking around the house. I was like, why did you not say you did not want to marry a millionaire? Like, of all things. That's the way you ask for. <laughs> yeah. But that's our running joke. But um, so, of course, I fast forward, moved back to Atlanta, pursuing track and field as a professional athlete at the time. Um, moved back here in Atlanta, got connected to a real solid church, and this was at the church in Southwest Atlanta. And really there, that was kind of the second phase of my discipleship, where I just started really having a hunger for the Lord, and really just kind of felt like the Lord was calling me into ministry. And um, after a couple of probably maybe a year and a half or so of just running away from the Lord, realized, like, man, he's a lot faster than I am. <laughs> and um, and I yielded, you know, to the Lord in the sense of my calling into ministry. And uh, from there, I started serving on staff as a youth pastor. But early on, I really felt this burden to one day plant a church. I uh, didn't know when or where or how. Then, I mean, church planter was not a familiar term that I was familiar with at all. Yeah. Uh, but I just felt like, man, God was calling me to one day plant a pastor, pastor and even plant a church. And I uh, just spent about seven years on staff there, just really wrapping through that call. 
and then about maybe seven years in, I think I could kind of I could not shake it any longer. And the transition out of that church, and I was working for a parachurch organization, but then I started the whole church planning process. Mm. So this was about 2009, okay. and I uh, just started going through some of the different assessments, the different training, and I uh, landed at the Midtown Bridge Church. Unbeknownst to me, that I was going to be eventually replanting that church um, uh, down the road about two, year, two and a half years later. And so um landed there, and the church ended up calling me to be the pastor after the church went through a very difficult day, um, uh, kind of coming on the heels of a moral failure, and just a lot mm-hmm. of challenges that happened there. And um, God had sent me there, unbeknownst to me, to actually eventually plant, to replant that church based upon everything that had transpired. Wow. Cool, man. man. That's deep. <clears throat> so, okay, so... so you you said it was recently broken, but you had the great uh, distinguishment of holding a world record, correct? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So I had the opportunity to anchor the USA team at the World Indoor Championship uh, in Maybashi, Japan, and we actually got on a world record on, that on the way to that victory. Wow. That is just I, that's kind of cool, That's just man. really cool, man. You, you're going you're gonna <laughs> to yeah, have a... Yeah, it was a blessing. <laughs> So, 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 so yeah, not only, not only, not only is that cool, but Milton is the guy that has man. Not only loves the Lord, does everything solid, but like if you met him in a room, that'd be the last thing he's like trying to taunt or oh yeah, uh, blow blow his own horn. As a matter of fact, my, I feel like when I'm with him, my job is to be his hype man. You know? <laughs> <laughs> No, That's right. I don't need that. There's too much pride inside of me. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, I, I tell you, you know that that is God-given talent. You know, yeah. uh, you you can train and everything, but some guys are just fast. That's it. And uh, so you can give glory to God and all that. But uh, I want to know who. So who broke the record? So we actually had another USA team that came behind us, I think, last year or two years ago, and they actually broke it. So it's still mm. for about, we set it in 1999, so I think it's still for about 17 years. Wow. wow. And, the, and the irony of it, though, it's crazy that it was. Like, that team, it was probably, I, I mean, I, and I'm not saying this out of humility, but we were probably the least talented team that the USA ever sent. Wow. Um, as a matter of fact, we were so bad that I didn't even know who was on our team. <laughs> Like, I remember we were on the plane flying flying to Maybashi, Japan. And I was asking the other guys, because I knew two of the other guys from, like, the collegiate circuit when we was, like, competing in college. Uh-huh. But I was asking, like, okay, who's our, who's our fourth guy? Like, I don't know who, who, who the host is going to be on this two-day team. And they told me. I was like, who? I've never heard of this. And they're like, yeah, you haven't either. <laughs> and so when you look at it on paper, like, the USA has sent many more, more talented teams than us to, yeah. to the world championship. Yeah, and uh, it was just God's providence. We were able to walk away with the goal and the world record. So it was just one of those things, like wow, Lord, like that's funny. Cause wow. I would not have projected this to be the team to set the world record. How about that? That's cool. And no matter how fast you ran, you couldn't yeah. outrun God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. You're yeah. right. Exactly. Well, you know, that's a that's a great picture of the gospel. Anyway, mm-hmm. though, in the way that 
that God takes people that nobody gives a chance and then does something. Just catapults Sets them. a world record for <laughs> them. So, right. so you're a living testimony <laughs> of, of what God can do. So, uh, well, you know, here in Arkansas, track and field is very important because it's the only championships yes, that the is. Razorbacks can win. Uh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Baseball is, well. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're yeah, losing well. right now. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Oh, well. So, anyway. <laughs> But uh, the ladies, Razorback ladies, just won the uh, indoor championship. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah uh, which yeah. is number right. 42. Yep. Are you serious? 42 track and field championships in the University of Arkansas. And in my lifetime, yeah, that's, right. that's yeah, two coaches like that they've had in yeah, 42 two, years? Two coaches. Two coaches yeah. in 42 years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah that's impressive. That's crazy. Crazy. So, <laughs> well, cool. Wild. So, so both of you guys are, are in Atlanta. Tim, you're – kind of coordinating Send Atlanta right now. Milton, you're right in the heart. You know, kind of talk about, you know, Milton, you said a while ago, you know, 2002, whatever, there wasn't a whole lot of church planning going on. Kind of paint a picture. We, we love dispelling uh, church planning myths, urban yeah. church planning myths. We had Wayne Parker from Detroit on uh, uh, a couple of episodes ago, just talking about what's happening in Detroit, and everybody has this picture of Detroit, and and God's just doing something incredible there. Mm-hmm. So, paint a picture for everybody of church planting in Atlanta and what's happening there, because uh, we love telling those stories. Yeah, I, I think. Go ahead, go ahead Tim. No, go ahead. No, Tim. go ahead, bro. <laughs> 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 no, look at that. Well, I think I started. I, I think it's just amazing, like, and, and I imagine if we were to go back and do a study um, in every major city or every major church planning movement, we could probably see happening across North America even now. I bet you probably find there's probably one or two guys who showed up early and they were just being faithful with the gospel yeah. mm-hmm. and probably may not have been seeing a lot of fruit, but they were just faithful. And I think, honestly, again, just bragging on Tim, like, I really believe, like, looking back, because I remember even when I first started exploring and praying through church planning around that 2008 window to about 2011, and I was just kind of, again, like me knowing Atlanta, being, a, being from Atlanta, like it really wasn't a lot of church planning happening. Uh, but Tim was like one of those only guys like in the city. You had other guys praying through it and perhaps considering it, but he was the guy kind of, you know, kind of the stead man who was just kind of there, like, you know what, I'm, I feel called to this city. Um, but it's really exciting now, you know, fast forward some 17 years later from when he started. So now looking at, like, I'm meeting so many guys who feel called to plant a church inside the perimeter, like in the heartbeat of Atlanta. Yeah. Mm. And it's just really exciting watching that happen, like knowing, like, especially with the growth of Atlanta, a lot of gentrification that happened here, mm-hmm. a lot of people being displaced. Yeah. But really we see, like, just the gospel really taking root in the midst of all the change and transformation taking place in the city. Awesome. You know, you're you're way too you're way too kind, Milton, and I, and I thanks for that. I I think you know um, as you think about um, cities, um, I do think there's always a propensity, and, and Neil, you would know this, and Dave, you would too, is that um, I think sometimes we look at the city and say, oh, the city's so broken, it's so lost, it's so this, or like I'm the only guy that can fix that. Mm-hmm. And 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 really, I think we we need to really um, you know kind of use the saying, you know, we better check ourselves before we wreck ourselves. Yeah. Um, you know, Love God that. loves cities. Yeah. And and God loves the people that live in cities. And there have always been a remnant of somebody, you know, whether it was a praying grandma yeah. or it was, uh, you know, the church, which by the way, churches plant churches. Yeah. It's great to get to serve. It's great to get to be a part of the North American mission board. 
Um, but man, churches plant churches, yeah. and and there there always has been that that faithful peace and remnant. Um, I do think, like anything, there 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 needs to be more. Um, and in order for that to happen, we know the gospel is more than enough. But you know, I, I think what we've seen and are seeing is we're seeing God raise up men and their families that are bold enough uh, to come to the city and move beyond the um, you know attractive demography and really start to be able to tell you about people and their families and their histories. But not only just tell you about that, but then start to share with you how they're being brave and bold to have gospel conversations with them. And then as God, um, you know, does the miraculous work of bringing salvation into these people's lives, really start to go through the messiness of making disciples. Yeah. And as you start to see that start to transpire, um, we all know that, I mean, the book of Acts, I mean, who doesn't want to live in the book of Acts? Who doesn't mm-hmm. want first the power of the book of Acts um, to have people saying, man, we ain't never seen that before. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, to see that, you know, these unlearned uneducated men who the only thing they could tell about them they had been with jesus which man that'd be great for a church planning movement that everybody had been with jesus all of a sudden you know are turning the known world upside down well in this day i think man our heart's cry would be that that's happening in all of our cities rather it's you know it's arkansas or it's georgia or it's you know los angeles i mean california or you know, it's Montreal or Vancouver, or, or, you know, you fill in the blank. And even then, I think then we really get to see where God is using churches to plant churches everywhere for everybody. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and then we could move beyond the conversation. Is it a black church or is it a white church? No, it's a church for men and women, boys and girls. There you go. We need to yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's it. Well, and I, you know, Little Rock is no Atlanta by any stretch of the imagination, but yeah. you know, Neil and I both love this city, mm-hmm. and and there are a lot of people that look at you know they find out we grew up in Rose City, and they're like, you grew up in Rose City, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> right. You know, you don't you don't think about that. Mm-mm. You just, I mean, we we grew up and we just lived. We did right. life. We loved Jesus, and, and yeah. we shared the gospel and. And, you know, we, we tried to be the church in the city in which God had led us. My dad pastored there for, you know, several years. And, and it's just where we lived. We didn't, we didn't know anything different. And, mm-hmm. you know, I moved from to Little Rock, from North Little Rock, from a, a small town in western Arkansas. And, you know, scared me to death. You know, we moved from Mansfield to uh, population 1,000 to, you know, to North Little Rock. And, <laughs> And, uh, but I, I look back on that now and, and see that that was such a formative experience for me that God has used to, to, to broaden my understanding of his kingdom in ways that I never could have foreseen at that, that point. And, and I can't even imagine what it would be like to, to have stayed in Mansfield and, and uh-huh. not grown up in Rose City, yeah. you know, and how it changed me. And, so we love the city, and I, I, you know, there's always these perceptions of right. of the cities. We love to dispel those myths. God is at work, yeah, uh, in, in our cities, and He's doing some incredible things with some amazing people uh, who have lived there and worked there their whole lives, and and we just love telling those stories and let people hear those things. I call it the Great Rewind because I think you you mentioned the Book of Acts, you know, and I think we've gone so far in our own direction that if we come all the way back. Like you said, who doesn't want the power? Who doesn't want to have people make the statements like, man, I've never seen it done like that yeah. before. Uh, and I just want to hit this real quick. Milton said something about 
um, these are my words, not yours, about not having a language for church. You hadn't seen church planting. How did you get exposed, mm-hmm. especially in an, in an urban area? How did you get exposed? Because my, my uh, kind of experience was a little different. I, I didn't know what church planting was. Yeah. When people started churches, it was yeah. because an associate minister got mad at the senior pastor, and then he left with his family. <laughs> yeah. And they got a exactly. storefront and a, and a broke down and station wagon. Greater something. Yeah, and greater. Sure. No, for real. <laughs> 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 you know, you know yeah. this was New Hope. This is greater New Hope. That's you right. know? <laughs> yeah. So how did you, what, what kind of exposure were, were you around to allow you to get, um, you know, to, to recognize what church planting was, Milton? Yeah, I think for me, very simply. I knew so many great, the church I was in, there was so many greater so-and-so yeah. nearby us. Yeah. The church, a lot of my training came in. But a lot of my mentoring, actually, so I grew up in a predominantly African-American context church-wise. Okay. And, um, and so, but a lot of my training came from mostly like white Anglo context. Okay. So from there, because that was a lot of my training from just experiences to networking, um, I would just kind of hear that language. Like, hey, we're planning a church. I hear about these churches that I had my brothers in Christ and how they were sending other churches out. And I was like, man, that, that really was like, man, this, this really is cool for the kingdom. Like, it's not about kind of like my solo, but it's like, like I see God's kingdom being advanced. Yeah. So I think just some of the network I was around just in my formative years in ministry, I just heard them kind of speaking this kingdom language of like, Hey, we're about like, man, God's kingdom. We're about sending men and women out. Um, and that was, that was, it was unfamiliar in some ways, but it was familiar because like, man, these were guys who were living yeah. And they were so selfish with their time and resources. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of became a part of the fabric of my just personal development. And so I think from there, when I, um, as I was trying to explore it, um, even though I wasn't necessarily sent out by the church I was kind of trained in, mm-hmm. I knew, like, I knew, like, that's what I wanted to be a part of. Yeah. And so it was just kind of as I found new networks, as, as God brought other godly men and women into my life, um, it's like he just started putting the resources around me, and I think that's kind of how I just kind of fell into it, just through the brothers I was connected with. To yeah, be that's real cool. Yeah, and, and I think all this is such a healthy conversation because um, I think uh, obviously you guys know well and are, are alluding to it, but I think even too sometimes when we start to talk about the city, um, you know, or cities, we kind of use this word urban, and the first thing I think your mind um, potentially for some all of a sudden it becomes a conversation about white or black. Yep. Yeah. And, yep. yeah. And, and, and I think um, the Hottie Lewis, who's our vice president of the Sun Network, who's in Atlanta and definitely has been a part of this God movement and such a comrade, a friend, uh, uh, leading a multiplying church. And we're so thankful for all the, the intersections of life. But, you know, he says, well, you know, when you really got to define urban as complexity density and diversity yeah and that's good and really when you move past that because if you're not careful you know all of a sudden we're like it just seems we're i don't know we're minimizing the beauty of the what god wants to do in our city uh by you know just having these awkward conversations about white or black and and all that and and sometimes the challenge is even is can you have a conversation about white or black but can you have a conversation about the gospel bringing about restoration? There you yeah. go. And real about that, you're probably going to have to start to talk about some economics. Yeah. That, boom. And there yeah. again, I know this uh, podcast is not about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not to, I'm not trying to get us to chase a rabbit, but yeah. um, I even love with uh, Send Network that, you know, we talk about these uh, kingdom values of brotherhood, of multiplication, 
and then restoration. And even as we talk about restoration, we really believe, you know, obviously the brotherhood, that's easy. Like, you know, brown, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the children of the world. So I think that's an easy one. The multiplication, I think that's kind of easy because the Church of Acts multiplied. Mm -hmm. I mean, we don't know where the Church of Ephesus is today, but we know what churches are that multiplied out of that. But then if you think about restoration, man, when the gospel gets planted down, it does change things spiritually. It does change things emotionally. It changes things economically. And then it changes socially. And and we see, I think that manifests in the New Testament, but man, if you're missing it, in the Old Testament, man, all those prophets were showing up and saying, listen, if you really are you know, loving the Lord, man, you can't be using those crooked scales anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, in, in Little Rock, in, in the Delta, you know, we, we don't talk about church planting unless you talk about community transformation as exactly. well. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the gospel that's had good. wide-ranging impact on the communities where you plant the church and i don't i don't know who initially said this i won't say who i heard it first from because he's kind of labeled a heretic now but uh but uh i will say rob bell said one time uh he said you know he said we want to be the church that if it was ever removed from the city that the health and well-being of the community would decline because we were no longer there yeah and, yeah. and I, that's the kind of churches we want to plant that have such an impact on the communities in which they're planted that the well-being of that community would decline if they were ever removed from that community. Yeah, and yeah. We want to be interwoven so much. Yeah. And uh, and, and I, it has to be, you know, in you know, if you're going to be a part of the fabric of the community and, and it really can't be incarnate an, the gospel. It can't be an either or. It has to be. Uh, yeah, both uh, yeah, yeah, it has to be a both and yeah. Mitchell, Mitchell Moore, who's who I think hung out with the hottie for a little while, but yeah. he used to say, uh, if your church closed, would the community know and would they care? Would they care? And yeah. and he would always talk about planting with that with that mindset. So I I, I like uh, what you're saying about uh, brotherhood and and defining urban that way instead of it being like a like a code word for something else. Yeah. So that, that's absolutely. Really, yeah. Yeah. So talk about, so, so you guys both planted in Atlanta, uh, Milton, you replanted a church and then you guys kind of came together and merged together. Talk about that process. We have, you know, several merger conversations going on and, and, uh, and many of them are happening in, in Little Rock, uh, right now, get two going on right now in Little Rock that, you know, uh, just kind of fascinating conversations. So kind of talking about that process and how that came about, you know, what you've learned out of that process, some things that might help other planters as they merge with, you know, merge congregations or whatever. Does that make sense? Well, well, well I'd like to kick that one off and let Milton go kind of for it, it up and put the bow on it at the end. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I think from my side of the story, um, and, you know, we come 2002, uh, planted church, uh, we weren't rock stars, but God did great stuff. And out of that, uh, man, uh, we saw four um, church plants that um, got us plant, got to play a role in doddering or sending out. And there again, nothing huge, but faithful gospel stuff. And then, uh, you know, we, we got to year 14, 13, and we just were kind of looking. And if we were being honest, we lost a little bit of our missional edge. Mm-hmm. And we really weren't really impacting the community maybe as healthily as we were in the days one and days two and days three and so we had good 
honest conversations with our elders and we said, listen, we're not here just to do a Sunday morning experience and do small groups. We, we're here to be leading people to Christ, which mm-hmm. God does that work, but he uses us yeah. and then making disciples. Mm-hmm. And I think right now, if we're grading ourselves, we're not, we're not scoring as well as God would like us to. So, you know, we started making some tweaks and we adjusted this and adjusted that. And then really came to the place where we said, okay, we've made some adjustments, but you know, it's not producing some God results. So really what we said is we, we really need to kind of, we need to sell all out. And I remember meeting with our elders and we said, okay, so what we're going to do is we're, you know, we're liquid. We, we were set up in breakdown church for 15 years. We met probably in 11 locations in 15 wow. years. We said, this might be a time wow. to lease the space we're in because it's not about the space. And we had learned that multiple times. And we had been in the place we were meeting at that time for about four years was in a middle school, which is a great story. We don't have time to talk about that. But um, we said, all right, let's release this space, and we're going to go to this next space. But understand, God has a space he wants to take us to, and the space we're going to is not that space. But at the end of December, we will know where God will have us in that new year. So the elders signed off. We made that change. We really realigned, went to a, a space. We'd actually been there before. And during that time, we even saw a couple of people come to Christ during that season. But the crazy thing was, as that season came, God dropped down. And I know it's easy for me to say, because I'm telling my side of the story, and it's easy to listen and kind of say, well, yeah, it's easy for you to say, because really you didn't make it, or you're not going to make it, or that's your side. Or, you know, we all like to say, well, that's what God said. Yeah. Um, but I really do believe in my heart, God dropped down and he said, okay, I have your next space for you, and it's in Atlantic Station which is a live, work, and play community um, in Atlanta. And when he said that, I said, well, God, I don't know if you know it, but there's already a, an awesome church plant there, and there's a leader there and all that. And, of course, God, you know, he said, I, I do know that. And, <laughs> and, um, and, he said, and, and what I need you to do is I need you to make a call because you're going to merge with them. And, and being honest, you know, I mean, I, I'm a man, and I kind of like God – I'm not down with that. Because <laughs> if we merge, that's going to mean I'm not the guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And God was like, I don't care if you're the guy. <laughs> yeah. As, as a matter of fact, I even kind of couched and pulled back a little bit and said, okay, well, there's probably two places we need to look at. So I actually picked up the phone and called two friends. I called Milton Campbell and I called the, another guy that we'd actually um, planted out, a guy named Matt Dye. And I said, hey, I think God's doing this. I don't know what it sounds like to you. But, you know, why don't you pray and we're going to pray. And then I hung up the phone. And actually, before that phone conversation, I was talking to my wife. And I said to my wife, I, I said, you know, I, I really feel like this is what God wants us to do. And my wife said, I, I think you're 100% on board. And I said, but I can't do it. I said, man, I, I just don't want to do it. And, and my wife said to me, she said, are you that prideful? Wow. <laughs> Thank you, Holy Spirit. And there you go. <laughs> and what's for God sounds a lot like your wife. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Not to mention she's Italian. And, and, uh, <laughs> really and, um, so anyways, I, I called back Milton, and I said, Milton, I said, obviously, whatever God's calling you guys to do, um, you know, but here, here's, here's what I, I think it is. It's a kindergarten puzzle. You get one corner right, the other three pieces fall in place. So here's the conversation. Um, I believe God called us to join you. 
So everything we have in the bank, as soon as it's all settled and everything's taken care of, it goes to Midtown Bridge. All the equipment we have is Midtown Bridge. And everybody that we have at 1027 Church, when they show up the first Sunday, uh, you don't inherit any staff. You don't inherit any elders. And if you tell us to stand out front and pass out bulletins, we'll do it with a smile and praise the Lord. Wow. So you tell us what you want us to do. Yeah. Man. Awesome. Milton, are you crying over there? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is emotional. It really is. But you know what? I mean, even just echoing what Tim said, I would just say one of the things I've learned, I've learned so much from this brother. Uh, I mean, I think he was a big brother. Uh, I got some great big brothers, but I think he was just an additional big brother God sent me at a strategic time of my life. And I just think what, what I've learned from him was just disobedience. Like it's, what Tim did and what 1027 did was, you know, like we say we're following the Lord, but let's let's be honest. Like most times, following the Lord is always something bigger and better, and, and greater responsibility mm. and greater influence surrounding our name. Uh, really, we hear people like you know saying like, "Yeah, God is calling me to really doubt of myself mm. in, a, in a in a in a tangible way." That's gonna cause me to even have to submit in some other ways that I like. For me, calling is like it's bigger and it's better. And uh, for me, it was just such a teachable moment. Because I think even for our bodies, like he just he modeled this truly like open handedness to our bodies that we had never seen before. Yeah. And I think just like when you think about emerging, what a great opportunity it presents. It's like like we say it's God's kingdom, but it's like it's, it's contingent upon like God doing things our way. But it, it really is His kingdom. When we say, God, you know what? I don't know how this is going to work out, but God, I'm yielding all of this and I'm turning it back. And I'm like I'm saying, God, I'm taking my hands off of it. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's really what we saw modeled when Tim came and ten twenty seven came. It was like a, like it was just he was so quick to obey because I got the call and like probably about like maybe two weeks later we was moving in that direction and it was just so amazing. It's like man, like for me I was like wow I've never I've seen very few people really just obey God's voice, especially with a decision like this, so quickly. Yeah, and I think it just really led to a teachable moment for our elders, for our members of like, you know what? Like, are we really like, what does obedience look like to you? Like, because it's so easy to say, like, yeah, God is doing this, but it's gonna take a little bit more time to pray about it before I act. Mm-hmm. And Tim, he's like, man, God is doing it, and they acted, and it was like, wow. Yeah. So it's just been a beautiful God moment for just like, man, His wisdom God sent us, like, He uh, just a seat we didn't have occupied at the Midtown Bridge, mm-hmm. and just the wisdom He's brought to us as now an elder and a pastor of the church to a leader and just a voice of influence and even just a heart of an evangelist. Like one of the things I think I uh, say about Tim, like Tim is really a brother who's living on mission. Like, I mean, he is like, you know, I mean, just it's like sharing the gospel with people. Like we've even together, like we've had so many gospel opportunities to share with people like in Lyft rides and Uber rides and, you know, in a coffee shop. It's just been really life-giving for me personally, but even also for our congregation. Yeah. But I think the biggest thing I would say for a church considering that is for the for the church is maybe like both churches that emerging, like it's gonna require tremendous humility. Because like I like yeah, they were a church coming kinda up under us, but it's just been humbling for me just as I've learned from him as my brother in ministry. So I just think like it's not even for the church that may be kinda like, hey, who's kinda like maybe they're kinda coming in under that church. I think for that pastor like, he really needs to have humility and, like, put his ego aside as well because, man, that is a gift God is sending you. Yeah. And if you come thinking, like, well, yeah, they need us or, man, like, man, we're here to rescue them, man, shame on you. Because, no, that, that, that gift God is entrusting to your body to make you better. 
not to make your brand bigger and better, but to make you better for God's kingdom. Yeah. And I think that requires tremendous humility on both parts and war unto you if you don't approach that humility on both ends. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good word, man. Tim, so was there, you know, one of the things we've seen with churches that merge with other churches or kind of come up under other churches, there, there is a bit of a grieving process there. I mean, you kind of alluded to that. God, I'm not okay with this, you know. Uh, you know, what, you know, talk about some things you did to kind of work through that with your people uh, and coming into Midtown Bridge, um, you know, that could really be helpful maybe for, for some other guys who are dealing with that. Well, and I think every case is going to be so, um, well, not necessarily different because I think when God's at work, he handles his business. Sure. But, you know, there again, I mean, we're not talking about, I mean, in this season, you know, I mean, we planted in 2002, uh, the merger took place, uh, I think in October, uh, 2018 or 2017, 2017, um, I think. And, uh, you know, we, we're not talking about a thousand people, right. you know, we're not talking about 500. Um, and even I would say, like I've alluded to, I mean, one of the reasons I think God brought it to that place was, man, he wanted to, he, he wanted to see us doing the work that we were called to do. And if in this season it meant that we needed to join with somebody else to do it, then why be prideful about it? You yeah. know, um, because I mean, really the church is there to proclaim the gospel and make disciples. And, um, I think, I mean, you know, I, and, there's some pride definitely to say maybe, Hey, I'm not doing it in this season as best I can, or something's changed or whatever. But I think there, there is such a power, um, to seeing it, you know, to be in part of the, being part of a team. And I, I think we miss that as Baptists, but, you know, being a church planner for 25 years plus, um, if you will, um, I think sometimes, you know, the neat thing about church plants is when you're like in year one or year two, it's like almost expected that some church is going to come alongside and help you. <laughs> but I almost feel like sometimes it's almost like a no-no to say that when you're 10 years old or 15 years old, you still can't have a partnership with another church. Right. And I think the beauty of Southern Baptists is, is God taught us, not some person, but God taught us that we do more together than we can apart. Yeah. And, and by the way, the conversation here is not that like Milton's black and Tim's white. But the conversation is like we're men of God yeah. that really care about each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. And to have this season to be in the city of Atlanta and to be serving. And and Milton was so gracious because, like I said, I showed up and I said, empty handed, you know, you tell me what to do. And and I, it was about a month or so. And I don't know what the time frame when he said, hey, you know, we're going to let you be on the team, which was super amazing. And um, I love being on the team um, and serving. Um and by the way, I'm not like, you know, I mean, it's just such a stupid, foul conversation. If messed up conversation, fouled up conversation, I was trying to say, if you think about like, well, you know, they're trying to do this, you know, you know, you know, black, white thing and Multi-ethnic. reconciliation. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it is that thing because we're brothers. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, on, any, on any given Sunday, if you go to Midtown Bridge, Man, you're going to see beautiful black people. You're going to see beautiful white people. You're going to see beautiful Asian people. And you're going to see beautiful Hispanic people. Now, we don't speak all, you know, Spanish or, or, or Asian or Chinese or whatever. But, man, you know, English, you know, God's working. And it looks like the city. So, and, and by the way, you know, we're working in those complexities. Even Milton and I are working in those complexities every day. Yeah. Of, man, his, his background is different than mine and mine's mm-hmm. different than his. And mm-hmm. why wouldn't you want that? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we don't need to be Siamese yeah. 
influence. But I'll tell you right now, man, um, Milton is one of my dearest friends and brothers, um, you know, season, and what a privilege, you know, that, um, and we get to do things for Jesus together. Yeah. You know, you know I'm just curious and about it, that. And it's so cool. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I told my congregation when we started praying about it, I was like, an illustration I gave him was like, you don't put LeBron James on the bench. <laughs> like, no, this is, that doesn't make any sense. Like, like, they're coming with these gifts. Like, oh, we got to put them to use soon. Like, as quick as possible. As quick yeah. as they're willing to be used, like, we're putting them in. Because yeah. that's just too much experience, too much wisdom, and, I mean, resources that they're bringing to the table. And so, and, and our congregation, like I said, I think it was just, by all means, we know it's the Lord. And we're mm-hmm. just so grateful how he's allowed it to come together. And just like you say, we're, he's one of my best friends. Like, he's not just a, a member of the church. He's like one of those people. Like, I look forward to hanging out with him. Yeah, that's like, cool. Like, it really is a highlight of my week. Yeah. You don't put uh, LeBron James on the bench, and you don't put Milton Campbell in the shot put either. <laughs> Sounds like that's <laughs> – you don't do that. You make him the anchor man yeah, right. on a four-by-four four relay. <laughs> yeah. So, Tim, so uh, this is that a is tough – <laughs> but this is a tough question because, for me, I see a lot of people intentionally trying to do multi-ethnic, multi-racial, whatever, and no knock against it. But what are your – what are your because you said something so profound. You said it's not black connecting with white we're not trying to do anything intentional but you are what are your feelings about the intentionality of multi-racial multi-ethnic um when you start out that way that's a tough this may be a tough conversation but it seems like you're accomplishing that um and not even trying yeah because of relationship yeah um yeah it does it does, and, and I'll say this. So, so I'll say there does have to be intentionality. But I think so often it's not how people think. Like, because the danger of doing it just, like, we want to be so intentional to be multi-ethnic, multi-cultural, whatever that multi-word you want to use. Um, and I think the danger is when that becomes the only reason. Yeah. Gotcha, and yeah. It, it, like, it, 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 it has to be part of it, because like you said, I, don't, I think in our culture, especially today, in this day and age where our country is so divided racially, politically, economically, there's so many things. Honestly, I would argue, kind of nowadays, it's more difficult to be uh, multi, like to bring diversity around socioeconomic than it is even around diversity. I, I mean, agree. Absolutely. I agree. Here, weighty, yep. but economics is such a big divide right yep. now. Yep. Yep. But I think it has to be intentional, but also it has, you also always need to be asking yourself, like, okay, where's my heart? Because it is kind of now, it is, it's kind of like the whole, you know, you think about discipleship now, which it should have always been the case. It became like that disciple. That became a sexy word. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's kind of how it is with the whole multi-ethnic, multi-culture. It's a sexy thing now. It's like, oh, wow, like that feels good. But I'll be honest, like, it is going to be tested whether it really is real. Because when you get to the conversations and there's a shooting or there's an issue or there's a political comment made, mm-hmm. all that, it's going to either unify you or divide you. Yeah. And yeah. I think You're right. the relationship is not solid. Like it's gonna show whether like oh well that was just a good idea or something we wanted to try, but now nah, we don't. It's that's gonna cost us a little too much for us to really follow through and see it through. Yeah. And I think because our brotherhood has been so strong, like we've had some great conversations. Like man, just Tim, like you know, just like asking me some tough questions, to me asking him tough questions, and it's not him here to learn from me as a as, as a black male, but it's also me here to learn from him as my white brother in Christ. Yeah. And um, so we've really learned from one another, out of love for one another. And I think that's where the heart has to be driven to. It's like, you know what, do I really love this brother? Not based upon his differences, but I just do I really love him as a brother? Yeah. And those differences are going to help me to grow in my sanctification. 
and, and, and I would piggyback and jump back to um, to Dave's um, kind of question even earlier, like, you know, um, you know, how did I, how did, you know, which really, I mean, it's not about me per se, but like, how did I work through that? Or, you know, what were my feelings or what were my emotions? And I think, Neil, you kind of alluded to mm-hmm. that too, but man, I, I would just share that, you know, to some extent, like the whole, like the father's taught me, like, man, I, I, I get this great moment to be a learner right yeah. now. And I'm learning from Milton Campbell. Yeah. Um, um, because, you know, all of a sudden day one, when you're think you're the guy or the lead pastor or planter or whatever, you know, the guy, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're not that guy. Like I, I remember that first Sunday where I was coming to Midtown bridge, like it, you know, it was that Sunday we were now the Midtown bridge. Um, like I wrote on a piece of paper and taped it to my closet door. Um, who are you? And then underneath, I wrote, um, the answer cannot be what you do. <laughs> yeah. Because for the first time in you know, 25 years, I wasn't the pastor. Matter of fact, I showed up one Sunday and I told Pastor Milton, I said, hey, you know, probably it might take a couple of Sundays, but maybe some people, you know, we're one now and there is no 1027 Midtown Bridge or anything like that. It's Midtown Bridge, but there might be some people that might call me like Pastor Tim, you know, and you know, I know you're the pastor and man, I submit to your authority. And and he was like, you're a pastor. Like, I'm not worried about that, you know? And and I I was like, okay, I just, you know. (laughs) Okay. You're like, okay, thanks. (laughs) I was asking for some days off, actually. I don't want to be like awkward, you know? And, uh, and, uh, so it's really been a neat journey of even in this season, like, you know, I, I, I preach maybe, you know, once every six weeks or some rhythm, whatever the pastor needs. And, uh, um, you know, but that doesn't diminish me. You know, that doesn't, yeah. I'm, right. I'm still a child of God. I still have gifts. And uh, and it's really neat. And, and it's actually neat to really be afforded this opportunity to, you know, get to lead um, as a sensitive missionary and care about the city, mm-hmm. but also kind of be a practitioner yeah. still in the game, if you will. That's good. Yeah. Um, so, you know, um, I, I mean, when I'm meeting with a future church planner or a church that wants to serve a church planner, you know, I'm not just trying to, you know, say, well, let me tell you what to do because, yeah. you know, that's not going to bless anybody. Yeah. But every once in a while, you know, somebody says, well, you know, what do you think about this? What do you do? And, and you know, and I am able to hopefully have a word from God or, you know, or something of that or, or just to say, well, let me just share with you some things that God's doing as I'm serving at Midtown Bridge or, or this. So it, it is a. It, it, it's a neat moment and i honestly i just you know I, I hope every day um you know i don't mess it up yeah yeah well and we you know we've seen guys you know multi-ethnic is the is the great you know kind of goal seems like for everybody yeah. right now yeah. we're going to be a multi-ethnic church well if if that's a strategy without a relationship it's not going to work right you yeah. know there there's there does have to be some intentionality milton like you said but it, it, it has to be intentionality grounded in friendship and exactly. relationship yeah. or if it's, or it's not going to work. And, uh, you know, you can't just say we're going to be a multi-ethnic church and there's only white people on the stage. That's right. Or, That's right. You can't say we're going to be a multi-ethnic church. It's and only black people. It's only black people. Yeah, it, it there just, you go. It doesn't, it doesn't, yeah. there has to be relationship and friendship there in leadership and in that intentionality for it to work. And, yeah. And I, and I think that's you know, that's one of the great things about this story, is is you guys were friends, 
And God says, I want to bring these friends together yeah. and we're going to do something great in the city. Yeah. And, and it wasn't, it yeah. wasn't to be a cool multi-ethnic church. It was friends to impact the kingdom, you know, impact the community for the kingdom, yeah. you know, together. And, and that's, that's when it's beautiful and it works great. And so, uh, I think that's one of the powerful things in this story. That is, that's cool. I enjoyed that. That's a, yeah, I think the cool thing too, like you said, is, is that, you know, uh, relationship does kind of trump everything anyway. Yeah. You know, I mean, even with yeah. reaching, even with reaching the unsaved, you yeah. know, relationship, start, it, uh, the whole deal starts there. Yeah. You were talking about who am I? Charles um, Campbell? Uh-huh. Charles Campbell, we did the, when we did the NAM training, he asked, you know, who are you? He asked the question, who are you? And people started out saying, you know, hey, I go here, I do that. He said, no, 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 no. Who are you? <laughs> yeah. You know, and I don't think we asked that question. It's hard to connect with somebody else when you don't know who you are. Yeah. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think you guys yeah. have, yeah, have uh, communicated and, that. And so I think clearly. that's the neat thing. And I want to definitely, for the glory of God, I mean, the neat thing was even before I, I got a privilege to be a part of the Midtown Bridge journey. I mean, the Midtown Bridge was reaching the city yeah. and will very much look like the city. So it's really the need to be a part of that. Yeah. Um, because I think you guys even mentioned, I mean, you know, you might be in a pocket of, you know, one, you know, ethnic group and man, you just need to reach those guys for Christ. Yeah. Um, you know, but I, but I do think the challenge is, you know, definitely, um, you know, are, do you look like your neighborhood? Do you yeah. look like your community? Do you look like your workplace? Do you look like your, do you look like your football team? You know, do you, yeah. I mean, because, I mean, those are all spheres of influence, like Neil so well said. You know. Yeah, absolutely. So, so we'll kind of wrap up with this. If you could give one piece of advice to potential planters, existing planters that, you know, really want to have an impact on the community and, you know, begin to really look like their city, you know, what, what would it be? Silence. <laughs> cricket. 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 I know cricket. That's a tough question. <laughs> yeah, I know. Pretend, we, just, we, we just pretend to know what we're doing. <laughs> no, but I, I would say, like, for a planner, like, living on mission, like, really just being intentional with the gospel right now. Because, you know, you, you think, you know, as a planner, you think, like, hey, I can't wait for that day when there's a lot of people in the room. <laughs> But yeah. to get to that point, you got to be intentional with the gospel right now. Right. Like, what are you doing? Like, who are the people that are in your sphere of influence that you are in relationship with that are not right presently walking with the Lord that perhaps the Lord wants you to eventually lead them to a relationship? Because churches, they reach the community. They serve the community out of relationship. Right. So I would just say, like, the biggest thing I would say for any planner is, like, hey, really examine your relationships. Like, what people are around you that, like, man, they're willing to follow you? But on top of that, like, what are the, who are the people that God has brought into your sphere of influence who ultimately, you know, he wants to see them come into the kingdom, yeah. and he wants to use you to lead them in. Um, so I just think, like, really just being intentional there, like, it's so easy to be thinking about, like, hey, what might happen tomorrow and not be a good steward of today? And so I'll just, just say, been praying to, like, okay, God, where am I right now? Who's around me right now? And how can I leverage my life's influence to point them towards you right now? Yeah. And, you know, tomorrow, if it comes, just allow me to see it, and I'm going to be faithful then. Um, but right now, this is the moment I have, and I just want to leverage it for the kingdom. Man, so good. That's good. That is good. Yeah, I think uh, for me, man, I I, I'm, I kind of ride this uh, these this kind of four lanes right now and stick with it. Um, but man, I, I think uh, one man, man, be able to preach the gospel and be able to preach 
Um, I know in the back in the day, man, we used to talk about guys preaching down the, you know, shucking the corn or whatever. <laughs> um, and then we kind of, I think, you know, whatever, I don't know, just whatever. I mean, we go through all kinds of phases, but man, at the end of the day, man, to be used of God, God wants you, especially that's your calling and your place. Like you gotta be able to preach. Second thing I think, man, the book of Acts, Holy Spirit has to be on you. Mm -hmm. I mean, our, our cities, our world, our nation desperately needs to see um, stuff they've never seen before. Yep. And that's healthy inside the bounds, I think, of, you know, Acts chapter um, 1, verse 8, you know, and I will give you power, you'll receive power. And uh, I think a lot of guys are trying um, to plant churches without power. Uh, the third thing I think is, man, you really have to do the work of an evangelist mm -hmm. and you have to have a discipleship pathway. And uh, at the end of the day, we can all go to the whiteboard where you can put X's and O's up there and say, here's where Joe starts and here's where he finished. But man, I, I want to see the guy that's walked with Joe and now Joe's able to walk the path and mm -hmm. he's leading somebody mm -hmm. because, I mean, that's, that's how churches grow. Yeah. Um, and we're not talking about size, but we're talking about really the the possibility of the impact of influence and influence is never limited to size. Right. Yeah. I mean, there, right. there definitely could be X church of this size that has influence and X size church of this size that has influence. Yep. And then the last thing is, man, the person has to have people following them. Um, you know, if you're, if you're a church planner and nobody's following you right now, you're, you're not really going to be a very good church planner. <laughs> yeah. um, yeah. You know, uh, because I mean, I, I meet guys and they say, Hey, I'm, I'm coaching peewee football down the road. And they got 40 people following them every time they load up the card with yeah. the kids and the coaches and the aunties and everybody like that. And they roll into the other side of the town. And even when the heat of the moment comes on the Pee Wee football team yelling, that coach all of a sudden turns to them 40 people and say, hey, I'm the one that brought you. Y'all be quiet. Listen, we'll get through this. we get the W. And then all of a sudden they get the W. And, man, next week there's 50 people following. Right, right. So as a church planner, somebody's got to be following you. Yeah. And I think we need to really amplify these um, possibilities and places and residencies and things like that to really see if somebody's even following. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So good. Well, guys, man, thanks so much for coming on. We, we uh, always try and wrap up um, our interviews with uh, rapid fire questions. And uh, these have no okay. eternal value whatsoever. None. <laughs> Zero. But uh, well, they, they might have eternal value. Depending on depending on what your answers that's are. That's right. That's right. But uh, we always like to do kind of some fun questions to wrap up with, and uh, just give uh, everybody a little deep insight into your souls. Uh, so how about that uh, for a, for a lead in? Sounds good. Yeah. They're nervous now. I they're know it. I know it. See the sweat pouring off Tim's face. Yeah. All right, so here, here's a question for both of you. Top one or two books that have had the most impact on you in church planning? That's softball. Yeah, that's a soft one. I would say for me, well, two, I would say one is Ordering Your Private World by Gordon McDonald. Oh, yeah. Just as a good read of just kind of really getting into your soul. Yep. And then a, a second one, I would say, um, Managing Me by Stephen Gray, which is a really short, two easy reads, but really practical, like just for leadership. You know, leading my, my family well, making sure that I'm checking in on my, on my soul and my uh, intimacy with the Lord, but then also being able to encourage others as well. Yeah. Good. Cool. Yeah, my two would be uh, Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. Look at you. And, and then second would be uh, Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. Mm. Um, I think every church planner in the world should reach that 
and kind of adopt that spirit of Hudson Taylor where he gets up at four o'clock in the morning and prays that God would move the heart of China or else it won't be moved. Yeah. Wow. That's heavy. Man, oh. that's good. Okay. Uh, strengths and weaknesses in ministry. Greatest strength, greatest weakness in ministry. I'm the first. Uh, greatest weakness is I hate details and spreadsheets. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Uh, Amen. <laughs> uh, I think to say I have a strength is right. Uh, I'm always passionate about stuff. Uh, I'm the biggest cheerleader. Uh, yeah, I think that's a strength. Yeah. Yeah. I think mine is mine would be strength is. I say strength would be, um, honestly, like encouragement. Like, I love encouraging people. I believe, man, I, if God said it, I believe it's going to be done. I'm um, that guy who, yeah, I don't care if there's one second left on the clock, I believe we can still get a W if, if the clock is not, if it has not expired. Um, weakness would be almost that, the same thing. But I think my weakness would be probably grace. I have a tendency to give people a little too much grace and probably need to bring a little more truth when it comes to, like, relational capital, mm. like relationship and relationship with people. That's yeah. good. Yeah, that is good. So, favorite hobbies or pastimes? Me running. I love running. <laughs> that's where I meet the Lord. That, that's a shocker. <laughs> uh, I, <Yeah>. I love. <laughs> uh, no, that's like, that's my sanctuary. There, like I can go out on a field of track, and it's like heavens open up, and God and I we're in community. So that love bowling, love just hanging out, watching. All right. So, Tim, your favorite hobby? My, my favorite, my favorite hobby is, uh, um, you know, when I'm consistent, uh, I do like to work out. I still try to throw some weights around i've got some uh we have some big boys in my family and they like to think they can take the old man and they can't <laughs> and, and, and i'll fight dirt i fight i don't fight clean so yeah, uh, anyways, yeah. But, but uh and then favorite pastime I, I love uh pam and i love to slip uh we live in the city downtown and sometimes on sunday night we'll sneak out and go to a little hole in the wall and grab a slice of pizza Mm. that's cool hey that ain't bad yeah working out in pizza that works i have two boys who are black belts in taekwondo and uh i told i tell them both you have to sleep sometime (laughs) you may take me when i'm awake but you will have to sleep sometime and uh you may be stronger (laughs) but i am more conniving all right fellas thanks so much for coming on appreciate it and i'm praying for you guys continued impact in atlanta and uh, and beyond yeah man just love love hearing the story and what god's doing pray that continues to multiply so blessings to you guys that's all for this episode of the grind make sure to sign up for the grind email newsletter for all the latest news articles and book recommendations by going to absc.org slash the grind newsletter If you like what you hear, rate and review us, and make sure to share this episode with your friends. Until next time, keep grinding.